0: Brought to you by Mystic Lubricants, developed in real-world conditions for real-world work. Mystic products are specially formulated to meet your demands. Mystic lubricants ride with us. For a look at their full range of top-quality products, visit mysticlubes.com. That's m y s t i k lubes.com. Hey folks, Machine Repeat here. Welcome to episode number sixty of our Machine Repeat podcast. It's been a couple weeks since we visited the last. Uh, I've got an interesting topic today for you. Uh, Consolidation, uh, kind of see it across everything in uh, business these days. And obviously when we say that word in the ag space, consolidation, uh, a lot of people tend to think of farm equipment dealerships, uh, the amazing rate of consolidation we've seen there over the past uh, you know, 10 years um, and five years, last five years in particular. Uh, uh, so on the topic, I mean, I just did an interview with the folks at Land Equipment uh, back in, I think, end of August, uh, two great dealerships out in Indiana and Ohio came together, uh, TTG Equipment and the Kenfell Group. Now they have 18 stores uh, known as Trueland, truelandequip.com. Had a fun visit with them, talking about their merger. And uh, they also have a cool event coming up. You should check out, folks. Uh, they call it their bid list event. Uh, it'll run, I think, from November 20th to December 15th. They're going to put 300 pieces of equipment uh, and uh, with TTG, their use manager for many years, Roger Reinhart, ran this bid list event. This will actually be the 19th time they've done it. Uh, so it's pretty cool. You just get an opportunity to see their equipment and, and put in your best offer. So a little different take, uh, not an auction situation, but again, an opportunity to get yourself some good equipment year end here. Uh, and I believe that equipment list should be going up here pretty quick. Check out their website, Truland Equip. And that's T-R-U-L-A-N-D, equip.com. But again, back to consolidation. Obviously, a lot of negative, you know, some negative feelings out there from from farmers, very understandable when you lose uh, competitors, uh, dealers that you've worked with. Um, You know, one thing I will say, it's been interesting uh, from my seat, watching the situation with supply of used equipment. Now, I've been doing this, it's actually 34 years this month, November 1989, I started compiling auction prices, monitoring the used market. And one of the toughest realities that used to be was that when the ag market turned, uh, if farm equipment dealers were heavy on their particularly late model used inventory, it was difficult if they had one or two or three stores and they had 20, you know, too many two-year-old combines sitting there. They they just weren't, you know, financially able to aggressively move out from underneath those. You basically had to hold and wait, kind of for better days, and very understandable. I mean, my dad was a a dealer like that. He had uh, two stores uh, when I was a kid, and. Uh, Yeah, it was just a reality of the market. And what that tended to do was it slowed things down so that excess used would stick. And, you know, that just was what it was. And we last time we saw that big echo was coming out of 2013 when corn and beans commodity prices dropped and dealers across North America had way, way too much late model equipment. And it sat. Uh, And, you know, that was kind of a bloodbath on there and working out from underneath that. And we saw that happen in 14, 15, 16. Now, it's interesting as we're coming off, what, three and a half years after the pandemic and the crunch of supply of both new and used equipment. And here as 23 has played out, one thing we did notice finally was uh, a rise in the amount of used equipment on dealer lots. I'm sure you've seen this. eye test. As you drive around, you know, in 21 and two, early 23 dealers, they just didn't have much used on the lot, right? And now that's starting to go up. And one thing I think we forget when we look at the space and try to figure out what's coming down the road is how things have changed in terms of consolidation. So there's fewer dealers. They're much, much larger. Now, if you are one of these larger dealers, one of the benefits is you're capitalized at a level to allow you to handle these ups and downs in the swings of the ag market a little differently in terms of used inventory. So, for example, used combines, we started to see the supply go up December of 22, and then all through the first part of 23, dealers were becoming you know very concerned about this buildup in used combines. and. What happened? Well, in the second half of July and all of August of 23, a tremendous number of used combines hit the auction market. I mean, it was big. And they sold for what they sold for. Auctions do what they do. But when you pull back, I I have a tool on our machinerypeat.com website. I can, you know, for analyzation purposes, I keep tabs on the supply of, of categories of equipment, and the raw number of combines sold at auction in August made a very noticeable dent in the overall number for sale. Now, that's that's just truth. That's data. That's what happened. Now, that has big, big, big implications. And over my 34 years covering this market, never seen that before, where the fact that there's fewer lar- fewer dealers, but much, much larger dealers, when the market turns, they can be aggressive quick. Now, that's a very good thing for, for actually for the whole space. I mean, because uh, it just, it moves things along quicker. It, it starts to mimic more of what the auto industry has done you know, for decades. Uh, if you're a car dealer and you've got excess used inventory, they they just have always had the mindset of like, hey, send it to auction, move it, get it out, get it off a lot, boom. And so now it's a little different on the farm equipment side. Um, so just eyes wide open to that trend. That is one of the offshoots of consolidation. Now, let's switch the co- consolidation uh, topic to the auction industry. Okay. So Things are starting to happen here, and folks, the pace of this is going to pick up. There's just no two ways around it. It's it's going, consolidation in the au- auction industry is going to continue. Of course, the first big ripple was the news. Big Iron and Sullivan auctioneers coming together back, what, uh, a year and a half or plus ago when that was. Uh, and you may be seeing recently, Steffes Group Uh you know, acquired an auction company out of Kansas, big news there, they continue to grow. Um, Locally here where I am in Southeast Minnesota, two great auction companies uh, got together, Hamilton Auction Company out of Dexter, Minnesota. Andrew Hamilton and the crew there, fantastic. And Matt Merring with Merring Auction up out of Kenyon, Minnesota. Now they've come together and they have the Hamilton Auction Group. And if you look at this, I mean, you have to think about, you know, what's the average age of the auction? an auction owner in the U S and Canada. And it probably pretty closely mimics the average age of the American farmer. Uh, so you have a lot of auctioneers who are, you know, I'm 57, almost 58. A lot of auctioneers, you know, a bit older than me. So from a business standpoint, you know, if you have family in the business, there's that route, pass it along. But in a lot of cases for different situations that, you know, you want to sell your business. That's America. You build a business and you want to sell it. Um, So, you know, that's what we're starting to see, the demographics at play there. And then factor in all the changes in the auction industry with the technology. Online auctions exploding. Now you have young folks. It's pretty awesome. You can, you know, set up your own online auction and hey, boom, you're in the business. Well, it's not easy, but, you know, there's all kinds of dynamic things happening in the space. And today, We're going to talk to a person uh, who's been at the crux of change in the auction industry for over two decades now, Aaron McKee, founder and CEO of PurpleWave.com, which PurpleWave was founded back in 2000. Um, In big news recently, uh, you maybe saw it, we posted a note on our Machine Repeat social media pages, but uh, PurpleWave announced a, a partnership back in October with Copart, Copart Incorporated. Now that name might not mean a lot to you, but they're big. They're a big fish, folks. They they are a worldwide leader in the online uh, automobile auction space. And uh, again, they announced a partnership with Purple Wave, and uh, that was back in October or so. Purple Wave, uh, you know, looking to aggressively grow their online business there. And I've known Aaron for many years. Been a fan of Purple Wave. How they've uh, we we'll go about it, uh, no reserve sales there at purplewave.com. So let's bring in, uh, yeah, let's bring in Aaron McKee right now and uh, get a little update. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-lubes.com. Well, folks, pleased to be joined on this Machine Repeat podcast episode by uh, Aaron McKee, CEO and founder of PurpleWave.com. Aaron, it's been a while since we talked, but uh, hey, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Greg, I'm super excited. Thank you for making time today. Yeah, you bet. Well, we need to talk, Aaron, because, wow, big news here came out October 10th. Um, I'm sure people have have seen it. We posted a note on our social media, but uh, Copart Incorporated, I think they're a worldwide leader on the online auto auction space been around about 40 plus years, but, um, you guys announced, uh, I'm not sure the correct way to say it. Is it a partnership or an investment? Here? Yeah, it really isn't a partnership, but yes, of all the above,
1: uh, it is a partnership first and foremost, and, uh, something we're just over the moon excited about. Uh, we've been friends that we actually explored doing something with them over 10 years ago. And, hmm. uh, you know, one of the things about being in the space that we're in, Greg, it's kind of a full-time job, not selling your company. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a limited number of, of platforms, and uh, as I'm sure you know, you get in the middle of a market, and people kind of sometimes want you on the shelf. So we really have been very resistant to any outside forces that we would be involved in. But one of the reasons Copart, um, they're a founder-led company. And they really do understand auctions and they've cleaned up one of the most probably toughest industries, which is the salvage space, and made it a very professional, very professional market. Um, The first person I ever met was the founder, Willis Johnson, because uh, another fellow friend in the auction industry, one day we were working on some project and they weren't coming together quite right. He says, There's this other guy that is like you. He kind of quit doing live auctions and put everything to the computers. And and you should meet him, Willis Johnson, the founder of Copart, you know, and and we sat down and had lunch for a couple hours and talked about his his people and the and, the you know, the path that he'd been on. And we just became friends and uh, and realized that, you know, we, we had a lot of common uh, goals and believed a lot of the same things about how auctions, you know, could be a really powerful tool. And and uh, like I said, we explored doing something as, as 10 years ago. And then uh, it wasn't just what timing wasn't quite right. Sure. And uh, then here just uh, about a year and a half ago, we started talking again and we've been looking for uh, ways to work. Our company has scaled, you know, vast, And as we build more buyers and sellers, it's always good to talk to people who have been through the process of scaling so we can do it as efficiently as possible. And that's the premise we started talking on was how to, Maybe take some of the learnings that they've had in their industry and apply it to what we're doing in the ag and construction and you know fleet auction world where they've done it in the wrecked car space. So hmm. started talking and we just share so many things we need, but we don't compete with each other for for sellers because they sell for one type of seller and us another.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's uh, as a company like yours, PurpleWave.com has grown over the past two decades uh, yeah, I suppose along the way you just need to assess, um, you know, how to take that next step of growth, and uh, finding a, a partner like Copart. Um, that, and now I don't follow the online uh, worldwide space as closely as I as I do the North American egg space. But uh, boy, it sure sounds like Copart uh, very, very highly thought of for what they've uh, accomplished and developed, and uh, like you said, um, kind of helped foster growth in the space. So. Find a dance partner like that. Uh, that's uh, powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, and there's a, quite a few
1: things that may not, you know, immediately be obvious. And what, what what we've found is that the easiest, most straightforward way to buy and sell equipment is from where it sits. And equipment lives what I call everywhere but nowhere. It's in perfect distribution to where it's being used. And and if we can work in partnership with a seller, the we're kind of the Netflix of auctions in a way where we don't really need a location because we can bring buyers. Right to the, right to the location of the assets, but that that requires three things to be right. The the seller needs to be somebody that's in the right space and somebody that we can work with, and the the situation needs to be one where they can host a sale and that they or you know have a meaning, meaningful desire to sell assets and that the assets match the marketplace that we have the ag and construction type of it, uh, inventory and that it's marketable inventory. And so there was a, quite a few customers that we couldn't help where where if they needed a place to put equipment. And one of the things that Copart has done over the last 40 years of being in business is built an unprecedented portfolio of locations. And to have to support a location is not something we were excited about because we really want to use the most efficient, straightforward path there is, which is working with the seller word and asset setting. But if a finance company or a, a enterprise level customer or somebody that's just their their business practices don't allow for Partnering on assets. Now we have a another resource that we can immediately answer a question. Not just anywhere in the United States, but really they're they're a global company. their mm-hmm. they're, uh, Their market cap is of forty five billion dollars, and they're they're selling uh, assets all over the globe. And they they like a lot of industries in in the equipment world. They they live everywhere but nowhere. You don't see them, but they're there everywhere. And anytime somebody wrecks a car, they really need to have a place close to it to take a, a vehicle to, and those yards are zoned and 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 staffed to be able to receive just about anything. And in fact, they sell an awful lot of equipment, but most of it's equipment that's uh, damaged or hmm, somehow sure. you know in on the in the insurance space. And so then another. Go ahead. go ahead. Well, just another really kind of thing that, that sets there is. They've built a network of, of logistics to be able to move those assets almost immediately from wherever they're at, wherever the wreck happens or whatever tow tow company those 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 assets end up at to their yards right away. So they have a, a preferred uh access and network of of haulers that are second to none. And that's such a powerful tool because everything, even if we sell it from where it sets it still has to move once. And some buyers can move their own assets and some can't. We've been working for several years now to build our ability to help facilitate uh, buyers and sellers moving assets. But this just sets us light years ahead. And then mm-hmm. another thing that, that, we don't know what this means exactly, but uh, they sell millions of cars a year and 60% of what they sell goes overseas. Because there's not a lot of people that can fix assets, you know, in the United States, the, the rebuilder cars, and a lot of recycling is done, uh, not in this country. Mm. So that access that we have to that buying community, that international buying community is, is a really powerful tool. And it can, we, we, we auction law says, right? The more buyers equals a higher chance of finding somebody's going to pay the most so being able to access that and the and the buyers that they're they're well vetted buyers that they have domestically uh we we feel like that really improves our ability to be uh, a great solution for our our sellers uh to have that increased buying capacity and, and like i said we just don't compete because they don't have equipment and they don't go after equipment and we don't ever really go after wrecked cars or wrecked equipment we're wanting to sell for ag producers and construction contractor, government entities that are end users of equipment. So we really kind of live in two different seller types, but the the process of auctioning the assets and the tools that they put in place are so are so right for a certain segment of the, of the potential sellers that we would like to be able to help sell assets.
0: Well, Aaron, I think you're drifting into the kind of the math. I'm a numbers guy, and I, I think you're drifting into the kind of math I like. One plus one equals three. It sounds like uh, Purple Wave Plus Copart uh, plans to help each other grow and, and uh, leverage each other's uh, existing uh, assets and expertise. So, congratulations on the announcement of the deal uh, last month. I'll be excited to watch that play out. And, and Aaron, I just gotta say, I've been a fan of, of what you've built there. Um, you know, watching for over twenty years now, I can't believe it's been that long. On the one, <laughs> <day>. <laughs> overnight success
1: takes a lifetime. Greg, it's like a <laughs> well, well, can we read the young kids running around the nerds, and now there's these young kids that they're the, they, they're the young kids. How'd that happen?
0: Unbelievable. Well, this gray hair that I've got going here can attest to our uh, the passage of time. But <laughs> uh, now, PurpleWave.com, you founded that was it back in two thousand, here? That's right. We, we founded the
1: company in two thousand. Started we we're pretty meager. We were selling personal products, uh, precious metals, pots and pans, and yep. then you know some uh, the beanie babies were the kind of the well, I shouldn't say this. maybe they were the bitcoins of the of the early two thousands. So we we ended up in the estate space. Some um, cut our teeth in live auction. Started you know started at the very beginning of our career in selling live auction and and earned the right to move up market and applied the technology. So we've we've been blessed to have experimented with a lot of different ways to to run auctions.
0: Beanie babies. Wow, that's uh somewhere in our house, Aaron. I think my wife Jackie has probably so many of those. I couldn't even count. The other thing is uh baskets.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another high value core <laughs> asset of the, of the early two thousands as we were trying to, you know, make, make, uh, make
0: payroll. They were high value back at the time uh, Jackie was buying them. I, mean, I don't know now what they're worth, but uh, no, it's all, all fun. And, uh, but man, starting the company in 2000, I mean, it, it it's kind of freaky, but that's like, uh, I suppose, the dot-com era back then when uh, everyone was going online and uh, new ideas were popping up. So you, you know, online auctions, wow, that was. Uh, well, you know,
1: Greg, i explain it like this. We we, we had a Mavica cameras with, with three and a half inch floppy disks in them. And we walked around with stacks of floppy disks, loading them into surplus computers that we bought at, you know, at the auction <laughs> and uh, we're using Actually, we would sell computers to people and put Netscape on the home on the homepage of the Netscape. Or, uh, Man, I haven't that, heard that for a and, long and time. And send it home with our auction buyers so that they could look at the catalog for next week's auction because we couldn't get the advertisements out quick enough for a uh, because we were doing a consi- a weekly consignment auction at that time. And that was that was kind of the first evolution of inventory online, and then pre auction absentee bids. Pretty quickly, we figured out that the uh, the closing the items online. It just did better. And that was because there were so many more people involved in the online auction uh, week in and week out than, than, than we could get into a live auction scenario. And
0: uh, Well, hats off, Aaron, for you know being that far ahead of the game and being a, a futurist, basically, to see that that's where the auction industry would, was headed. And, I mean, purplewave.com, if we talk where you guys are at now, I, I think somewhere between 150 pushing 200 auctions a year, uh number of employees what are you guys up over 200 employees now
1: yeah yeah we're we're well over that and we're you know uh with the one of the exciting things with this with this partnership that we're in uh copart has 13,000 employees and they're all over wow. the globe so that there's a, a lot of shared activities that we can get uh projects done they also have a catastrophe team and if they're not busy doing a hurricane we can land a lot of resources on something. And that's, you Mm -hmm. know, that's uh, so part of the constraint and it is in the entire workforce right now is finding people that understand, you know, moving, moving assets and and checking people out and picturing things and, and uh, the ability to scale that has been one of the, and it is for all, all businesses right now, such a challenge. So.
0: Right. Well, it's uh, you know, I've again just been a fan watching you guys grow the business, Aaron, and at this point, 23 years down the road here, as 2023 wraps up, you know, when folks go to purplewave.com and they look at the equipment for sale, which a great variety of equipment, uh, and you have a big egg sale coming up, by the way, on November 15th. Check it out, folks. Uh, I think I saw a couple of nice 2013 John Deere 8335Rs from Oklahoma. I think four or five John Deere 8430 tractors out of Kansas. Some great stuff there. But, I mean, you have equipment from all over. So, how many Purple Wave regional reps? Do you have uh, around the country roughly? Would you say, Aaron?
1: Oh, there's there's about a 125 people that are either doing listings or that are doing direct uh, promotion in the field, um, helping to get assets online. And we've got an internal a, an internal team that works. In you know, in some scenarios, we can work with uh, a person in you know, a in a territory that's um, that's able to get a sale set up, and then we'll send somebody operationally to go up okay. the assets and put them online.
0: And if folks are listening to the podcast, you know, I'm sure they're aware of Purple Wave, but if they hop out to the website and they're thinking, geez, I got one or two items for sale, what's the smoothest way, Aaron, for them to, do they just contact you guys directly right through purplewave.com or reach out to yeah. their rep in the area?
1: Yeah. If they if they know their rep, that's certainly a direct route to reach out to okay. somebody. We've got a, a form that just says sell assets and when we, we put it in online, it immediately routes the person that's going to be working with them and know. They'll get okay. a call on on how to how to proceed. Um, you know, the great option is great and powerful tool. It's not right for every situation, every person. So, we'll one thing we can promise is we'll we'll give great guidance as to whether it's right for right for the situation.
0: Gotcha. Well, a couple of things uh, I've always uh, admired about how you guys roll there. Aaron, one you, you've always, uh, as far as I know, been no reserve. On your yes, auctions, sir. which can you talk yes, about sir. that a little bit? Now that's you know a lot of different thoughts out there. There's right and wrong, but uh, just give us the purple wave uh take yeah. on why you're no reserve. Well,
1: you know, uh, I have a line that I use about equipment, you know, sitting still. Uh there's a couple pieces that that are not obvious. One is mouse chewing on a wire, tires going flat, batteries going dead, get another model year older, uh it's carrying costs interest, insurance, all those things are continuing to erode the value, the net value of equipment. And those things, if if, uh, if you price an asset too low, it sells immediately and you'll never get a higher price. If you price an asset too high, those things continue to happen. And that means you're catching a falling knife and that's really a bad situation. So like I say, it's not right for everybody, but what we can do is safen the process of doing an auction. And we do that with, uh, with, with the internet auctions. We have a, a bidding open for three weeks or a month before the sale. Uh, we we don't have a serial uh, close of the items during the during the sale, so there's five minute auto extend, a little more time for people to make a decision. And being a live auctioneer, you know, I love live auction. More than anyway, I'm an auctioneer, but the truth is, you've got one minute to make a decision, and sometimes that means that 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 there might be a little bit of uh, some, some mistakes being made in the market. But when we slowed the process down, gave ourselves more time to be able to reach out to a bid tree. Work in concert with our, with our seller, with our distributed sales team to promote assets. And then, uh, you know, having the, the online community providing wholesale bids, we really can have a safe outcome. And if one person is is selling no reserve and another person is not, and people don't trust the marketplace is truly no reserve, the chances of hurting somebody goes up because then there's no, uh, there's not consistency around the, middle market liquidity that brings a fair market to every asset right so you know i I, people say no reserve auction is scary i see people get hurt also in fixed price sales a lot by overpricing or underpricing assets holding assets longer and letting those erosive depreciation and and holding costs you know take take effect and then uh then there's just the opportunity cost to focus on this or something else. So what we've said is we're not right for everybody. But if somebody wants a fair process to get a fair price for a piece of equipment, or if somebody wants to buy and they want to know that they can go do due diligence on it, it's absolutely going to sell, at, and it's not going to be the seller who's the buyer, then this is the right process to do that. And it and it really is a powerful tool to provide uh, a, a liquidity of a, a price for the seller that uh, right. lets them do their business. So for who that's right for, that's what we do. Keep it simple, straight, simple, sold.
0: Yeah. I, I, I you know, as someone who's compiled the sale price data for 34 years from 1100 companies across North America, Aaron, uh, and again, we, we see folks do it different ways, but uh, one truth that I keep coming back to is the, the market's always right. Yes. I mean, it, uh, what an asset is worth, whether it's a house we're sitting in or a used car or a, or, uh, wrecked car or a one-year-old tractor with a hundred hours on it. I mean, that's the beauty of the auction, which I, I, to my way of thinking, that's why the auction method continues to be, be vibrant and has been around for centuries is that you put an asset up for sale and we'll find out together what it's worth.
1: I think that's why I've always been friends, Greg. So we both believe in that for sure.
0: Well, another thing I, I've always appreciated about you guys, Aaron, and I think you were kind of ahead of the game on this is the, the number and quality of pictures. Of the assets that you guys are selling on your sales, and I know you guys go back so far. That had to be one royal pain in the, you know what, to upload all those pictures back when it wasn't so easy. Yeah, uh, floppy disks, out the wazoo. You know, you drop one and they go away. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's true. That was a real issue for
1: us for a while. It was that's a long time ago. You know the the thing about auction, and and you know we 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 always try to. Uh, have the ability for a, a buyer to go inspect their own inventory and our most happy, satisfied buyers do inspect the inventory before they buy it. But uh, being subjective in a description of what, what I think is good, you might not think is good at all. And, uh, you know, anybody that's owned equipment knows some days it was good yesterday and not good today. So the thing that we've always been able to do is to prove that it is the asset that we're going to sell And then the videos and, and images are, we take really high resolution images and upload that full image and then take lots of pictures. That lets somebody that does want to do due diligence and can't get to an asset without us over promising or under promising convey a lot of information between those videos and pictures. And then we also provide the, the contact information for our sellers so that the buyers can talk to the sellers and do their own assessment as to how right. uh, credible the information that they're getting from that source is. And that, that helps us from, uh I guess what I'd say stacking our reputation on somebody that maybe it isn't being forthcoming. And auctions are not for everyone on a buy side either. If somebody can't do due diligence, can't assess a piece of equipment and understand what it is, or doesn't have a little bit of uh ability to tolerate, you know, there's it's not a retail experience. It is a you're buying, I say like a mother-in-law, you take it home and learn to love it. Probably lovable, but you might have to learn to love it.
0: Eyes wide open in the auction business on uh, on that buyer side. That's always been true. But then that, again, that's why I love how you guys have gone. You know, it looked to me like you guys were making a point to have as many pictures. And you mentioned video, Aaron. Again, you guys were a little bit ahead there. Uh, you know, uh, hearing something start up. Uh, curious your take. I've been sort of pushing now. Maybe easy for me to advocate for this because I'm not. Don't have any skin in the game, but the, the the missing piece of a video that I would like to see on the front end are more interviews with the sellers, whether yeah. that's Joe Farmer selling his tractor or a, you know guy from the municipality or whatever. Um, yeah, because yeah, I, that's
1: right. We try to tell some stories, you know, the seller stories, because yeah. that doesn't matter what's the, what's the procuring cost for the sale, and then there's you know trying to describe the asset. And one of the things we we let people talk to the seller. And that's really, I think it's on people's, we don't, we want transparency, but the thing that we also try to do is to not over promise. And so the the reason, you know, the video, our concept behind the video is we don't have to say it runs if we have a video of it running. And we really don't want to say, because we don't, we we don't know. And that's part okay. of the auction process. We, we spend a few minutes with a seller and a piece of equipment yep. and we do our best to point out what we do know is wrong with it. Yeah. But it's it's hard not to, and then those yes, those seller stories, and they're so fascinating. And you know, one thing I this is maybe a little edgy, but I I always lament the fact that probably some of the most interesting stories, because of the commercial nature of what we do, you can't tell. I mean, because somebody's in a situation, and they right, you you know, sometimes you can't. You wish right.
0: you could. We we can't um, we can't tell all the stories about every asset, but yeah, you know, it's funny. All these years, when it, when I go around to cover auctions or talk to buyers or sellers. And in your heart for the auction industry, and you probably see it too. Whenever you're talking to anyone, uh, it seems to me like about 25 minutes in, some truth is uncovered. It might be the, about the, piece, the piece that's selling, or maybe the seller themselves. That you go, "Whoa, that's pretty interesting." Good or bad, but that's just the yeah. value of people connecting and talking. And that's that due diligence you were talking about. You know, on the on the buying side, reaching out to the person who's selling and. I've said for years, just get them on the phone and talk. I mean, you, you'll get a sense in your gut if it's good or bad. And that's, uh, but again, you guys have been great providing all everything possible on the front end to arm that buyer with as much as they can going into it. It's, and so, again, hats off for that. I really appreciate that, Greg. And, you know, everybody loves something
1: different, right? And I, I love equipment. I have equipment. I grew up around equipment. I do love equipment, but what I really love is entrepreneurs. I love, business owners. I love farmers. I love to hear their stories. And one of the greatest things about the job that I have being in the auction business and that we get to do is to help people make pretty big decisions a lot of times. And it's very rarely made by, even in big organizations, it's very rarely made an auction decision on the buyer's sell side by somebody that isn't some form of a principal or a, a somebody with quite a bit of uh, clout. And you get to hear these, when I say the stories you wish you could tell you know, the, the, there is a kicker, there's a kicker asset, but I would say you stay another hour and talk. And then there's the story behind the story. Like what, That's the what, good stuff. how did I get here? What did I do to make this business happen? Who's of all involved? What does it mean to me? Who does it else mean something to what, what were the things we did right, the things we did wrong, and what are our future plans? And that to me is the very funnest and, and most, most, uh, Oh, the, my favorite part about the job that I've been able to do in the last 20 years of being involved, whatever, whether we were selling smaller businesses or, or, you know, now we work with large enterprises and you, you get to hear about the founding story of the company and the, and the people who are in it and what they've done to get somewhere. And, uh, it really is, uh, every day also we're selling assets to put people in business. Somebody got enough money to go buy a used piece of equipment, a tractor and a, couple pieces of equipment and they're going to go try to start farming. they're going to go some construction equipment and they're going to go dump truck them excavator and I gonna go you know make up their wife driving the truck with baby sitting next to him and 20 years later yep. here they got 200 trucks and that's the story you see it on the front side and the backside coming in and out of the auction world I just love it
0: right yeah No know I'm traveling around the country here and uh it's, this. Is, I, I echo what you say there. That's the fun of it, uh, talking to the people. Um, just recently, I ran into two folk, young folks, um, and we've all heard how tough it is, and we know it's true for young folks to get in, whether it's production, agriculture, or the construction side. But nonetheless, someone sees an opportunity, and they buy themselves a payloader and a dozer, and they have an idea, and they're going to roll up their sleeves. And I mean, that's really America, isn't it? I mean, you have an idea and go for it, and they need the assets to do the job, and you guys are bringing them Making them available and it's it's fun to run across those people on both the buying and selling side, isn't
1: it? It really is, and you know one other thing, Greg, that I really love about the the business the so there's a lot of there's a lot of pride in doing a big you know big retirement sale or liquidation. And those sales are actually easy to do because they're very attractive. People love to go to them, and you know the the probably one of the secrets of the auction business those sales are so fun and easy but there's some hard work that gets done week in and week out. We're helping people stay in business because if they can get a few pieces off their balance sheet, you know, and get some debt knocked down and they can keep running their business and you can bring the buyers to them. They don't have to have a full event to, to, uh, you know, to create liquidity. I call it saving farms, but it really, truly is. And, you know, growing up in the eighties, farm sales, scary thing. That didn't mean positive things. Always. might've been a fun thing as, as the, uh, as the attendee, but as the person who's hosting it, that meant uh something pretty drastic in my growing up days. So I've always really enjoyed the opportunity to work with our, our repeat customers, the ones that work day in and day out, running their business and they, they manage their fleets on a on a rolling basis. And and those uh those are they're harder. They're not as sexy from an auction standpoint. You don't get the big slick flyer because it's not a it's not that. But uh, I enjoy working in those, the, watching those companies continue to grow and become repeat repeat parts of our community. We really think of our buyers and sellers are really purple wave. We're just kind of here. They're the ones spending and selling millions of dollars of assets. And uh, one of the great things also that happened accidentally, Greg, is we could only work with people we could partner with. So we, we kind of walked away from a lot of people we couldn't. And it kind of helped us to build a community of the kind of people you want to do business with. And, you know, you wouldn't be as discerning on the buyer side most of the time because it's like anybody with liquidity. But when we've had that 20 years now of having to, because we, we until this partnership, we didn't have locations in any way, shape or form. And we knew that 20 or 30% of the people that we would want to work for, we couldn't because we didn't have a location. And we knew that quite a few people, sometimes if you could take the seller out of the equation, they've got good assets. But if you're in their backyard, you don't want to be the, they're the principal We're the agent. You don't want to be, have your reputation stacked on somebody that I say rather come up a tree and tell a lie and stand on the ground and tell you the truth kind of person. So we really did build that community by accident a little bit into the kind of people that you want to do business with. And so now we really think of that buying and selling group, the, the people that are the equipment users and the sellers and buyers as our community. And, uh, Really enjoy being a part of that community. That's, I think that's an evolution. And that community being portable lets us save farms. And that's probably my favorite part about what we did change the auction industry just a little bit because we could bring those buyers to places where equipment lives, but people don't.
0: No, you help. You're being modest there, my friend, here. And you helped change the auction auction industry more than a little bit. Uh, I'm just curious again, you guys were so far ahead on the online aspect. uh, Get your take on this, but uh, we wind this back three and a half years ago, March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, of course, very tumultuous time and everything. But uh, I wrote a blog, I think it was like March 20th. So we were about a week in after the shutdown Mm -hmm. and corn and beans hadn't gone up yet. And I start I compiled prices and I was like, whoa, these prices are going up. And it was a very fearful time. I mean, a lot, lot of auctioneers that were, weren't were as far along as you guys, they were doing the outcry, which is awesome, but were forced into online only. they they've been having online bidding for 15 years, but now all of a sudden, man, I got to go online only. But bottom line, I just saw the prices start to go up. Just curious on your end, what you've seen since the pandemic with the whole online space. And it felt to me like we'd had these sell... I'm holding a picture of folks... I can't see, I'm holding up a picture of my cell phone for Aaron here, but we've all lived on these cell phones and now I just click the button and bid again. And, uh, it it just seemed like it, it just took off to me. Yeah. Yeah. Those were really, that was, it was a
1: weird time. Uh, you know, uh, we, we've, we've been blessed to have our team has stayed together really well. And we, so we had a lot of tenure and everybody was looking in that time for guidance. It was like, Aaron, what do we do? I don't know. I know this, take care of our clients and customers. And you because we have distributed workforce all over the country and there's different rules in different places, and different circumstances. And a little different if you're in the city than if you're in the country. And uh, so I said, well, you don't get anywhere where you're going to hurt yourself. Because first off, you think you might kill people. You know, that was probably my number one first concern is I didn't want to send our people or, or any of our potential, you know, the other parts of our community, the buyers and sellers. I didn't want to put people together and kill people. And then you didn't know. Yeah, nobody was this monster that was living. And, you know, people were obviously scared of it. Right. But then, like you said, in the market, there was a need. So it was pulling us. And so everybody went home. There was only out of a 120 people that would normally maybe be in our building. There were seven people that were coming to the building, but took their monitors home and we have, we've always been cloud-based in our technology and our company was growing amazing and the assets were bringing more money. So it's like we had a fast airplane and now we're in a tailwind because the assets were bringing more. Right, right. And and the whole time, it seems like the world should be melting down. But it was economically, it was actually speeding up. And that that was, I, I know everybody was living in that, but it was a really surreal time. And it did validate, it did validate that the internet auction would work and, and, and that brought a lot of people into our community. So as much as I hated that time and not being able to be with people and what it did to our, our schools and our, our communities. And I do think from, from, and there's some other technologies where just virtual virtualization and people's ability to go to zoom or teams and meet and right. get business done. I think a lot of things got made better. And then the equipment value, like, okay, I tell people always about this mouse tune on a wire tire going flat battery going dead. Your used equipment's never going to get more valuable sitting in it. Never, not while you're using it. How could that happen? And at the same time, it's happening. And right. banks are getting more liquidity and money's flowing everywhere. Such an unreal, unreal time. Uh, and I think it's slowed down now. I mean, I don't feel like our prices have not really... Some Class A trucks have come back, automobiles. But they had been over, so overstretched. So uh, they just kind of overshot a little bit. Yeah. I think the aggregate, it seems like, and it probably we won't, I would expect we wouldn't have deflation. It might not just be inflating. And uh, maybe I'm a little aggressive in the way I say this, but I think the the the, the government might be a, a lagging indicator. They might, they might not be, because we were saying inflation was happening when they weren't big time. Because everything, everything, every commodity, every asset we were selling, the people we were paying, everything's going up. And I was like, oh, it's two, 3% inflation. No way. It's maybe like, 15 or 20. And now I think that, I don't think it was, and that's another thing about auction. It finds things first. In the auction business, in the down market, you're not a very smart guy. You show up every day with a news story that nobody wants to hear. In up markets, you can hardly screw it up because you find it first and and you see those prices where retail, their velocity slows down, their prices stay the same. Our velocity stays the same and our prices move. We were seeing these prices that were just didn't make sense, which I think what
0: you're saying. And- yeah, you know, that it goes back 34 years on my end there. And I, I, when I was 23 years old, uh, you know, I didn't know much, but I knew what my third generation farm equipment dealer father told me that what something sells for today in this area, in this condition, that's a good data, a data point, extremely yeah. valuable. And whether the market's going up or down, I've always looked at it like uh, the auction industry is really the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, sometimes like we've, in the past couple of years, it shoots up. And then people, it gets interesting to me, people, you know, some people say, oh, it's all inflation. And, you know, it, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really matter. It's just this asset now is going up by how much or it's going down by how much. And we can all have our storylines to it. But the auction industry, and I think that's, to me, why it's so vibrant and getting more vibrant and companies like yours pushing uh, innovation. And by the way, on that topic, uh, none of us like change i'm getting more gray hair on my head but one thing about the american uh, agricultural industry i think america in general we might yak about change but change is opportunity change is the future and i mean you guys have proven that with purple way what you've created and done and the markets you built and you're you're, i mean how much are you growing a year over year on traffic i know it's it's a pretty significant number
1: yeah it's more than 20% compound growth since the beginning of our business and faster than that, considerably since the beginning of Corona. we, mean, we doubled the company in, in in less than a year and a half during Corona times. Oh. and well, again,
0: hats off to what you've built. Now, for people who don't know the connection, I mean, we should wind this way back here. Oh, you in Manhattan. Are you still in Manhattan, Kansas there? Yes, sir. Sitting in Manhattan, okay. Kansas. Okay. So, of course, Kansas State, Wildcats, awesome school. Uh, purple, uh, by the way, my dad was on the army base. What's the army base in that area? Fort Riley. Fort Riley. Yep. Dad was in Fort Riley back in the day. Used to go to Kansas state uh, basketball games. And, uh, I heard all the stories growing up, but tell us your story, how you got in the auction industry and, and the purple and purple wave, uh, give us the, give us yeah. the.
1: Well, so I'd start with how I got in the auction business. I was supposed to be a farm kid and my, I, I came to college in Manhattan in 91. In the eighties being a Southwest Kansas, 17 and a half, 18 inches of rain a year, no irrigation, no oil, no gas background in cattle. Uh, we, we had had, uh, you know, 10, 10 pretty fun years, let's say, as I was growing up. And I never thought anything but that I'd be a farm, a farmer, you know, but, uh, came to college, K State engineering, a couple of years in. My dad's like, Hey, you know, uh, coming home, it might not be that fun. We're not having that much fun. And so you might not find something else to do. And, you know, I didn't really do the job. So I say I'm kind of unemployable maybe, or uh I, I, you know, I didn't think about getting a job. It didn't make any sense. Just raise some cattle, do this, do that, or trade some equipment. Went to auction school to be a better buyer at auction because I was trading some cars and equipment. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed the, the efficiency of the auction. It just was just a really is. And I grew up livestock, you know, buying cattle, background in cattle in God City area. You know, the Wild West cattle, cattle auctions have been in the middle of everything. And uh, so I, I we started and we, we were, I, before I got married, I was just organizing. My wife hadn't organized me. So I just had a lot of businesses. One of them was we started a consignment auction. It was just another thing. Right. You can't do one thing. Well, you might as well try to do not two things well or three. And uh, <laughs> we got a little overhead and got kind of stuck in it. And, uh, and and then we put the technology over it and it's like, oh, there's a huge opportunity to make this more efficient. Just putting a catalog online so you could advertise what something, instead of people showing up to get a deal, they were going, showing up to get something we were selling. And that made a major change in what we were getting for assets. So when we could put all the inventory online, even in broad pictures and say, go to the purplewave.com, Take the surplus computer you got at home, turn it on, turn the dial up on, go to the Netscape and you're going to see pictures of everything that you're going to be able to come buy at the auction. You know, today that's table stakes, but that was, you know, that was a real deal in, 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 in that time and in that place, you know, of the, of the business. And then mm-hmm. the, well, so one of my other businesses, I'll say it here, has been long enough, probably statute of limitations. I had a uh a, a, a I would Surplus school bus. I cut the top off. Of I put two hot tubs on it. Rented it out for parties out in Manhattan, Kansas. Purple Wave hot tub nice. Rentals. So awesome. that was Purple Wave hot tub rentals, and I, then I had Purple Wave. I did some property management and locksmith, and I don't know selling things with Purple Wave. Auto had a dealer's license. So we I mean, just all the things, and then it was Purple Wave auction, and then I, I and just my wife and I are partners in Purple Wave. For those who don't know, she's the COO. I'm the CEO. That's Susie. Yeah, Susie and and she started the business with me. And she's a veterinarian by training and very organized and just a high output in one way. And I'm a good problem solver and got a lot of energy. So we, we just made great partners in the first four or five years. we were really good partners because she graduated from vet school and started funding the business by being a veterinarian. I took babies to work and, you know, started building a two-sided marketplace, which nobody can make money doing when they start. And then we, we you know we came together and uh, started running the business. You Know she came back full time because she was always helping, you know, with a lot of the operational side of the business.
0: And-, and I gotta, I gotta ask you there. You mentioned your engineering background. Were you a mechanical engineering at K State or ag? engineering? Yeah, I studied mechanical engineering for six
1: years until I basically about got kicked
0: out, and then I went into ag
1: engineering because they're a little easier on me. Okay, <laughs> like 13 years later, I got in, an, uh, in an engineering, ag engineering, uh, uh ag and engineering technology degree, but I had 180 hours of college credit. So, you know, I was learning what I wanted to learn. Uh, degree really wasn't, I wasn't worried about that. I don't know, maybe that's bad, but I never thought about getting a job. One reason I got a degree is my mom got mad at me. And she's like, you have to go back and get a degree. So I did.
0: Well, that's interesting. Anytime I hear the engineering thread, I, I like to pull that forward for our young listeners. Uh, Aaron, I people might remember I've or uh, we have two daughters. Our youngest uh, went to Purdue for a chemical engineering, and I didn't know anything about engineering uh, growing up. And as our daughters were growing up, but I, I became fascinated with the mindset. Yes. I think a lot of our farmers, uh, just by nature of growing up on the farm, kind of have that uh, problem solving. It sounds like you, like yourself. Uh, That's it
1: exactly. And my well, my oldest daughter just graduated industrial engineering last year. So same same thing. And I think. When you know what it is, a a way to solve problems is so powerful. I appreciate you bringing that up.
0: My thing is I want to make it because I didn't know what an engineer did. Uh, So for young people that are good in science and math or parents listening who have, you know, kids who are good at science and math, you know, uh, engineering, what I found most interesting was the myriad paths forward after the degree, whether it's med school, law school, business like yourself. Uh yeah, just curious to get your take on that engineering background that you
1: have. Absolutely. To... And well, it's hard classes. It's rigorous. And I, I have some commentary, probably not completely central, that I think a lot of our uh, schools have lost their way with regard to academic rigor. So a degree program that actually where you have to study and learn how to solve problems. That that hard hard math, hard problem solving study type classes and technicians are the places where we're even finding some executives or some leaders in our company, because you have to solve a problem. So much of our world today, people are just filling out forms and they don't get, they don't get engaged in a problem. And you know who we love? Farm kids. Farm, farm kids. kids always have to solve problems. So, yep. I mean, uh, uh, if somebody's from a farm and has actually had to go work and solve a problem by themselves, they are miles ahead
0: when it comes. Yeah, to work. I guess uh, in our culture, sadly, that work ethic is uh, has just kind of eroded over the decades to the point now when that farm background, I guess, to the advantage of farm kids, it just you know means something to potential employers. Oh, you're a farm kid. Oh, okay, I make my assumptions about that. But my my contention of for young people listening and, and young parents is if. That engineering mindset. If you combine that with good people skills, like even just at a minimum, good eye contact, being able to t- converse with someone you know our age, uh you got dynamite. And I uh, think you just said it. You're looking in, within your organization for people like that that are problem solvers, and you kind of can uh, write your own ticket, whichever we want to go with those skill set, don't you think?
1: I absolutely do. And you know, I, this may be a little out there, but as a as a head of the curve. I joked a little about, but I do really aspire to know what the future could look like. This artificial intelligence, this open, open AI and large language models and and the things that it can do. If somebody isn't looking at that, they're not looking at the right thing. It is absolutely powerful. And it it's an it's a force multiplier. It speeds up the ability to to communicate, to figure things out, to learn, and and it continues to evolve. And I think it'll evolve how we get information. It'll evolve the auction industry because we'll be able to find information different ways. Um, sure. It'll evolve what we think search engine optimization is. Well, why would you go to a web page when there's a page that's curated just for you with the answer that you were looking for instead of having to go sort through somebody's you know advertisements to get the little bit of information that you need and and so many of the the just ability. So if you don't have time to write a short letter, you have to write a long one. I and mean, you take a long letter and you dump it in and say, Hey, tighten this up and make me sound either a little more or less professional. All of a you'll start believing you're a lot smarter than you are. It might even give you some confidence. And that's that, that's, that's laying right out there for free for everybody. And it's a little bit like when we started seeing what we could do, putting inventory on the website and right. somebody showed up instead of wanting to buy something for 25 cents on the dollar they pay whatever it took to find a lid for their pie.
0: Yeah. It's uh, interesting. You you mentioned when you guys started uh, posting the sale catalogs online and, and trying to foster that transition from just folks coming to the auction to get a bargain to, to getting them emotionally connected and coming for that specific item. Um, that to me has been the interesting part of the auction business as an observer over the years is, you know, yes, they're just assets we're selling, but we're humans. And, you know, seeing how different people, whether buyers or sellers, how they approach it, which it's just every day is a joy in this industry, Aaron, uh, following it. And again, uh, big kudos to what you and your great team at PurpleWave.com have built and continue to innovate. Can and, I have uh, one
1: other thing that I think about about the computers and the, that I think has been yeah. powerful. Sure. Realized prices. Something you do, Realize prices put sunlight on auctions and, you know, sunlight kills corruption. So when the buyer and the seller and the other bidders are all looking at the same price for an asset, it makes it really hard for people to do things that are corrupt. And that was something we were really early on and we've posted realized prices for everything, always, we're transparent. And I really believe in that because I—I I, corruption kills communities, it kills industries, it kills churches. And there, there, there is in my mind, no place for that. And so I, that was something that just kind of, you do that. And I want to congratulate you on that. Bringing forth those transparencies around pricing, I think is really important to the. Well, I
0: appreciate that, Aaron. And I, I would turn and say the same to you. I I think what you're getting at there is unfortunately we live in a world that's very short-term focused. Now, when you build a business, Making decisions, whether it's building machinery P business, when I had two part time jobs in the early 90s and it was just a good idea, but I had to, you have to trust. But when you build out trust with a long term vision and when you guys are no reserve from the start with an eye towards that, it's probably the harder way to do it. But when you establish trust, you you can't put a price tag on that, can you? You just can't from a business standpoint. It's not for sale it's not transferable
1: it's only earned you can you can get there a little quicker with a reference or referral but if i tell you somebody's a great person and they're honest you're not going to believe until you meet them and that's one of the tough things about no reserve auction if you do it right you have to have trust to get that sale to work
0: right And when you combine uh working for that trust and again uh treating buyers and sellers as you guys do uh, transparently. um, I love it. And then with a long-term vision, that that fosters the growth that you guys have had. And again, uh, so excited for your growth there, Aaron. Thank you for catching us up on the latest with purplewave.com. And uh, folks, check out their website. I think they have eight sales coming up in November, a bunch coming in December. And Aaron, uh, hopefully I'll run into you out on the trail soon, but uh, thanks for the conversation.
1: Hey, Thank you, Greg.
0: Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aaron McKee, CEO and founder of purplewave.com. Again, tons happening in the auction uh, industry. Uh, Hats off to Aaron on how they've grown their business uh, over the years, 23 years at it now. Uh, And exciting news there, their partnership with Copart Incorporated uh, investing uh, into the business to grow the business. And I mean, uh, you know, whether we talk farm equipment dealers auction industry, you know, it's all about bringing buyers and sellers together in a more efficient manner. Um, so hats off to the folks at Purple Wave there. Uh, folks, we got Thanksgiving coming up here. I'll just leave you with a little thought uh, suggestion that I've had over the last 15, 20 years, you know, since blogging became a thing. I remember uh, 20 years ago, I I made a suggestion That when you get together with your family uh, over Thanksgiving, you know, a pretty good idea is to take these cell phones we have now, which are unbelievable in their video quality and audio. And even if it feels a little bit weird, interview your grandparents or your parents or your uncles, maybe after the turkey and the dishes have been cleaned. Definitely help out with the dishes, by the way. Machine repeat strongly suggests that. Don't eat and retire to eat a piece of pie on the couch. Help out with some dishes. Then go have a piece of pie. And and folks, just take my advice. Ask your grandparents some questions on camera. Hey, Grandpa, what was it like farming back in the whatever, 1960s, the 50s, the 70s? Or what was it like? How would you get through the 80s? Uh, you know, the ups and downs. Just get it on your phone because we all know this, but life moves so fast and it just keeps moving faster. So whether it's five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, trust me, you're going to, you're going to appreciate having that clip of your dad or grandpa or uncle or grandma, or your aunt, just talking to hear their voice, um, and to see how they say things and to be able to show that to your kids and to your grandkids. I think, uh, It's just something we all get moving fast and we forget. But, uh, you know, and the pictures and videos are great, but to me it's the voices, voices. I wish I had clips. My grandfather's passed away in 1979 and 1980 when I was a kid. And man, I would love to be able to hear them talk. Um, So anyway, I hope you guys all have a great Thanksgiving out there. And again, thank you so much for your support, not only of our Machine Repeat podcast, but uh, everything we do, our TV show and our machinerepeat.com website. We really value your support. And uh, yeah, we will talk again soon. Happy Thanksgiving, folks.